Good morning and welcome to the Thursday, February 7, 2013 meeting of the Board of Supervisors, City Operations and Neighborhood Services Committee. Uh, my name is David Campos and I'm the chair of the committee. Uh, we have been joined by committee member Supervisor Norman Yee. The vice chair of the committee, Supervisor Eric Marr, is en route. Uh, we also uh, have been joined by Supervisor Scott Weiner. Uh, we want to thank the clerk of the committee, Derek Evans, and we also want to thank the following members of SFGTV staff who are covering the meeting today, uh, Jesse Larson and uh, Nona uh, Milnokian. Uh, and we also want to welcome the members of the public who are here and who are watching. Uh, at the request of uh, the district supervisor, uh, Mr. Clerk, if you can please uh, uh, make announcements and then call item number two. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Complete speaker cards and copies of any documents to be included as part of the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items acted upon today will appear on the February 29th Board of Supervisors agenda unless otherwise stated. Great, thank you. And if you can call item number two, please. Item number two is a hearing calling on city agencies, including the police department and district attorney's office, to report about the increases in robberies on city streets and on public transit. This is an item that has been introduced by Supervisor Weiner uh, with my co-sponsorship. Uh, Supervisor Weiner. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for your uh, support on this item. Um, today, uh, we are um, going to hold a hearing on uh, robbery uh, trends in the city and uh, specifically uh, robbery trends uh, around uh, smartphones and tablets and electronic devices where we have seen a, um, a sharp and alarming uh, frequency uh, of those robberies uh, sometimes turning violent. Um, um, this is an issue really around uh, uh, the city. It seems like everywhere I go, every community meeting that I attend, whether it's in my district or anywhere else, um, this is what people are talking about. And uh, they're talking about it because it seems like almost anyone you talk to uh, in San Francisco these days um, they e either either they uh, have experienced something like this where a smartphone uh, or tablet they, where they were robbed or they know someone who's experienced it or they know someone who knows someone. This is something that is uh, impacting a lot of people either directly or indirectly and there's a, a high level of concern understandably uh, uh, relating to these uh, violent uh, crimes. Um, so uh, as I noted uh, these uh, uh, these criminals are especially targeting people with uh, mobile devices. Um, more and more people are carrying smartphones, as I think we all know. Recent surveys show that between 45 and 50 percent of adults own smartphones nationwide, which is, uh, I'm sure, much higher uh, here in San Francisco. Uh, these devices cost hundreds of dollars, and uh, if it's an iPad, it may cost seven, eight hundred dollars, uh, making them valuable and visible targets for thieves. Um, people are often distracted um, when carrying these devices, which makes them even easier and more vulnerable targets. Um, on uh, muni uh, light rail vehicles and buses, uh, people with uh, iPhones and tablets are targeted as well. Uh, thieves will at times wait until the doors are about to close on a bus or light rail vehicle, then uh, grab the devices and run out the door as the doors close, making it hard uh, to pursue them. Um, the thefts of these smartphones and tablets has become uh, such a common practice in our city and in cities across the country uh, that it's earned a name, as recently reported in the New York Times, uh, called apple picking. 
Um, according to one study by the FCC, um, 30 to 40 percent of robberies in several major cities involve uh, cell phones. Uh, last year, the SFPD reported that more than half of the 4,000 robberies between January and August in San Francisco involved uh, smartphones or tablets. New York City reported that more than 40 percent of all robberies involved cell phones, and Los Angeles reported that 25 percent of all robberies involved cell phones. Uh, these robberies uh, sometimes turn violent, whether or not the victim fights back. Um, we've seen some very alarming instances, for example, in my district in the Castro and in College Hill, where people were, um, were attacked in addition to having their phones uh, robbed. And these robberies don't just take place in central locations where many people congregate. Um, recently, for example, uh, there was a rash of uh, uh, armed robberies of smartphones in uh, Corbett Street in my district, um, a quiet residential area in broad daylight in the middle of the day, so people are, are understandably alarmed. We need to address this critical public safety issue by employing effective prevention strategies, uh, catching uh, the criminals who are perpetrating these crimes, educating the public on the danger and how we all uh, can protect ourselves, understanding that the police cannot be everywhere at all times. Um, so today we have several uh, speakers who will uh, provide us with information about uh, the state of uh, the world uh, in this particular area and what uh, we are doing to address uh, the problem. Uh, we have representatives from the police department, district attorney's office, and from the uh, MTA. Um, we did uh, anticipate that the CTIA, the Wireless Association, would be able to attend. Unfortunately, at the last minute, uh, there was an unavoidable conflict. They're not able to be here today. I do know that both the uh, police department and the, and the DA's office um, continue to work very closely um, with wireless carriers uh, to uh, coordinate and to see um, what we can do to make these uh, targets, uh, or make these phones and these tablets uh, less appealing uh, targets. I know there's been a lot of talk about uh, quote-unquote bricking um, and finding ways for the phones to actually just be killed remotely so that uh, they don't have any value. I'm sure we'll hear about that today. Um, so colleagues, if there are no um, uh, introductory comments, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Weiner. I just want to add a couple of uh, points. Uh, I, I want to, again, thank you for introducing this item. And as you noted, this is uh, something that is happening not only in, in, in certain neighborhoods, but it's actually happening citywide. And as you know, uh, we had a community meeting in Bernal Heights uh, a few days ago uh, that was attended by uh, Supervisor Weiner, Supervisor Avalos, and myself. And we had over 200 people uh, who have been, uh, you know, concerned, uh, rightly so, about what we've seen in, in this trend. And I think it's, uh, it's really important for us to be aware of it and, and to not only make sure that law enforcement in the city uh, are doing everything that, that we need to, but that the public also becomes uh, more aware. Uh, I think that there are certain things that we as individuals can do to make ourselves uh, uh, be less of a target, and, and I speak as someone who at some point was actually robbed uh, coming off Muni uh, uh, trying to get a, a, an iPhone uh, taken from me. So from my own personal experience, I think that there are things that we as individuals can do to make sure that we uh, protect ourselves and are safer in terms of uh, being alert of our surroundings. So thank you for, for this, and uh, uh, I think that we need to make sure that more people throughout the city are aware of what's happening. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. 
Supervisor, Supervisor Mark. I wanted to thank Supervisor Weiner and Kapos for bringing this forward. I, I know that there have been a number of types of businesses in District 1 also that have been um, targeted for robberies from banks to jewelry stores and most recently um, about two weeks ago Clement Pharmacy in the outer Richmond as well. So we're extremely interested in the different strategies being used to, to uh, reduce uh, the number of robberies in our city, especially in our district as well. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor. Um, so now we will hear from the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, uh, Commander uh, Sinus is here. Thank you, Commander. Uh, good morning, community members, members of the uh, committee members, members of the uh, community. My name is Hector Sinus. I am uh, Commander of Investigations in the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, I, I prepared this presentation here to address uh, crime issues in general in the city and included robberies. So I'll just uh, go through this and point out our, our uh, strategies to address specifically robberies and cell phone robberies in the city. Um, this is just an overview of the different district station uh, profiles, but uh, in summary, uh, going through these profiles, what, what we did notice is that um, year-to-date statistics for 2012-2013, uh, there's no change in homicides, but as uh, the committee did note, uh, robberies are up 10%. Some of the strategies that we've employed to combat robberies in general and cell phone uh, robberies is the deployment or zone deployments where we utilize both uniformed and plainclothes officers to conduct surveillances, saturations, uh, prevention, a uniform presence, uh, footbeats, etc. With our zone deployments, if we notice a series or a trend, we'll immediately uh, contact these teams and deploy them to the areas to saturate uh, these uh, areas where we notice an uptick in robberies. We conduct threat operations with known uh, offenders. So if we know individuals are on probation or parole for robberies, we'll target them for uh, uh, continued uh, enforcement to see if they are responsible for some of the ongoing robberies and to prevent any future robberies. Again, we do saturation uh, patrols, neighborhood canvases. We conduct undercover surveillances. Uh, recently, there's been a, a, a series of robberies on Cortland. We saturated that area with both uniform and undercover officers. Uh, we'll do directed enforcements uh, with by-bus programs, reverse, even decoy operations and uh, robbery decoy operations. And I can tell you in some of the uh, operations, my uh, officers will come back to me and tell me they'll sit there with uh, specifically their cell phones and some of the more popular devices and see if they will be targeted. But uh, the reports that I get back is that there's just so many people out there with the cell phone devices in their hand, either playing games or listening to music, that um, it's going to be very hard for them to be specifically targeted for us to uh, arrest the offenders because of the... Um, supply that's out there, so to speak, of individuals. So we notice that. Um, again, we do uh, case comparisons when we do make arrests to see if they match any of the descriptions of any previous uh, robberies. Um, we do mobile device tracking as well with a lot of the uh, newer uh, apps on cell phone devices. Uh, again, most recently, the uh, Cortland Street series, we were able to obtain the uh, account information from one of the victims and using the, the phone finder app we were able to track that phone and uh, apprehend the the uh, the suspects in that case uh, one of the projects that we are uh, implementing in the, is to have each station have computers that can access 
uh, iCloud, Google, or any other platform so that if a victim of a cell phone robbery has any of these applications, we can immediately access this and try to apprehend the, the suspects. Uh, again, we'll use uh, online resources to try to track some of the stolen phones. We'll also do a traditional uh, investigative uh, strategy such as fingerprints, photos, videos. We've been successful in identifying uh, robbery suspects with the use of videos, uh, surveillance videos from, uh, like you mentioned, the, the pharmacy robberies and, and some of the other uh, robberies from surveillance cameras outside of the businesses. And uh, uh, MTA will speak to how they utilize their muni surveillance video as well. Um, we have investigative uh, conference calls every day. All of the investigative units uh, from the uh, uh, units stationed at the Hall of Justice and at the district stations to identify crime trends, to identify the series, and to identify uh, who the likely suspects are and what districts they may be uh, uh, originating from or targeting. How do we, uh, what do we do to try to prevent these from occurring? How do we educate the, the community? How do we educate our officers? Well, what we do is we issue prime, uh, press releases uh, to let them know that, you know, uh, what types of devices are the most popular devices to be stolen. We issue public service announcements to the community, uh, informing them types of behaviors that our uh, suspects are targeting, such as having the device out in your hand, uh, you know, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of who's around you, who may be, um, who may be following you. There are some of other undercover officers reports that they'll see individuals who are, uh, you know, quote unquote, looking for people to, to, to rob. They'll follow them, they'll see them with their devices, and they'll begin to follow the, the uh, suspect and, and see if they're going to uh, attempt to commit a robbery. And many times they say as well that they see so many individuals, I mean, with uh, so many people utilizing these devices today, they're, they're targets for these individuals, so they'll, they'll follow them. Commander, I, I've heard um, that sometimes uh, we all are told and remind ourselves, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, to try to avoid you know, walking around oblivious with a phone up to your ear. Um, but I, some, a few people have told me that, that these um, criminals will sometimes just assume that even if you're just carrying a bag and you don't have anything visible, they'll assume that it's likely that you have you know, a smartphone or a tablet of some sort in the bag, and, and so it's not always you know, some sort of complete bulletproof protection even to be safe and not carry it visibly. That's been the case as we've had situations where it's a bag or even at uh, coffee shops where they'll see some type of a, like a messenger bag or a computer bag where they'll just take it. And they, they can turn these devices around and sell them so uh, quickly. Uh, like you said, there there is... Um, uh, legislation that's being uh, considered to make brick devices. Uh, the FCC is uh, requiring that uh, all of the cell phone providers uh, have a stolen uh, cell phone database, but that won't be up and running for all of the providers until sometime in the end of this year. So right now you have one provider that is on board with that, but they don't talk to the next provider. So if you have a Metro PCS is stolen, they can turn around and potentially go to another provider and activate that phone. And there's some talk of maybe having this program go international, but this is, it's in its, in its infancy right now. But there are, there, there are discussions to try to uh, encourage or uh, have these cell phone providers brick these phones, as you mentioned. Uh, other things that we've been doing is, again, with, along with the PSAs, is the neighborhood flyers, br brochures, um, 
we, we've had uh, community meetings, uh, many community meetings that I'm sure you've attended with the station captains, uh, the station community meetings, the neighborhood community meetings, where we inform the community of, of these types of robberies just so that they're aware of the, the types of activities they should look out for in terms of the criminals identifying them as marks or what they can do to make themselves safer. Um, I think at this point, that's all I can think of. Uh, again, I just want to note that one of the cases, again, the Cortland Street Corridor, that's not uh, uh, a unique circumstance where we were able to arrest these violators uh, for the cell phone robberies. Um, in that case, again, I have to uh, emphasize, we were using technology to our advantage. We were able to track the stolen phone from the victim and apprehend three individuals who were responsible for six robberies that night and were looking into 10 additional. So they're involved in a series. So I think uh, I'm optimistic that we can close a lot more of these uh, robberies. And do you, um, do you, in terms of who's actually doing these robberies, I'm sure it's a mix, but in terms of the sort of random people who are just they want money um, as opposed to organized uh, robbery rings. Can you comment on who, who's actually doing these crimes? I, don't, I, I haven't seen it being any organized ring. It's just groups of individuals who see the opportunity or they decide to go on a spree and they, decide, and they start stealing these phones. And in terms of then the sort of the resale market, and you mentioned that, you would, that the department does buy busts on the stolen phones. Um, in terms of the level of organization of, uh, where, of the market for these stolen phones. I know that we've read in the paper <clears throat> that there are <clears throat> some locations where people just offer them on the street, but are there sort of organized resale rings or organizations? They end up everywhere. I mean, they, they end up in flea markets. They end up on uh, other websites for sale, hand-to-hand -hand transactions. So it runs, it runs the gamut. And have there been <clears throat> arrests for receiving stolen property, people who get these and then are selling them at a flea market when it's pretty obvious that it's probably a stolen uh, phone? We've, we've done the, uh, the reverse uh, by bus here in San Francisco, and we attempt to debrief some of the individuals we arrest, but some of the information we get back is limited. Okay. It, seems <clears throat> Excuse me. it seems to me that the more we can sort of drain the swamp in terms of making it harder and that reduces the incentive. I agree, and that's part of our uh, ongoing investigations <coughs> to try to figure out where they're going, go to the next level, so to speak. Great. Thank you very much, sure. Commander. Colleagues, if there, are, if there are no questions, we'll... Oh, Supervisor Mark. Just a really quick one. I know that over the past couple of years in the Chinese community, there's been some suspicions that there's been ethnic targeting of um, generally younger Chinese or Asian Pacific Islanders with with self smartphones or iPhones, and I'm just wondering if you have ethnic data on age or ethnic background of victims. Um, and then also, I, I know I use um, Find My iPhone as an app um, for the iPad and the iPhone, and is that useful to help track down where um, phones or devices are nowadays as well? It has been useful in, uh, for us in identifying where these phones, uh, where the suspects immediately after and tracking those phones, but. Uh, some of the things that uh, thwart our efforts is that they turn the phones off or the, uh, the victims themselves a day or two later will cancel their service because the phone has been stolen. So it's something that we get on immediately after to try to track uh, the phones. And as far as uh, the ethnic breakdown, I don't have that information available, but uh, just from memory, I can tell you it runs the gamut. It runs the gamut. 
And with that, I'll turn it over to the MTA for their presentation. Um, oh, I'm Mr. sorry. Mr. Chairman, did you have a question? Yeah. I, did, I did want to have a, uh, have a question, um, and, and maybe this is something that, uh, that will be discussed, but one of the, the questions that I keep getting from uh, constituents, and I'm wondering if there is uh, an answer to this, uh, is there something that the city can do uh, legally to make sure that these phones are turned off, uh, they're not able to, to be used. Uh, if they're stolen, you know, the idea is that if, if, if you can't use them, then there's no incentive for people to take them. I've also heard that many of these phones are, might be sent overseas, and so even if you can do something here locally, that may not necessarily address the problem because there still uh, is an incentive. Uh, so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Uh, you know, I have uh, Lieutenant Jackson, she's sitting behind me. She's researching uh, legislation, what we can do locally, what we can do as a state, and what we can do nationally. Uh, like I mentioned, there, has, there is the FCC uh, requiring this. It, right now, it's a voluntary stolen phone database, which uh, by the end of the year, they plan to make it uh, all four carriers. And there's thoughts of it going uh, international, but when that's going to happen, you know, it's unknown. Well, I certainly would like to, I'm sure that all my colleagues would like to get more information on whether or not there's something we can do here locally to deal with that. Very well, and as soon as uh, Lieutenant Jackson's done with her research, we'll make sure we pass that information along. Thank you, Commander. Um, next, I'd like to invite up uh, Ali Militello from the MTA, or. Uh, good morning, supervisors, members of the public. It's my pleasure to be here. I'd actually like to introduce Commander Mikhail Ali, who will begin uh, our side of this presentation. I have the, the communications piece, and we'll talk to that when it, we get there. Thank okay. you. And this is a presentation by the uh, MTA. That's correct. Uh, good morning, supervisors. If you indulge me a moment to get this PowerPoint going. Well, good morning once again. I am the uh, commander assigned to the uh, Municipal Transportation Agency. Uh, I'm responsible for a number of officers who are, uh, work on Muni transit lines on a full-time basis. Uh, we do, uh, we capture uh, incidents of crime that happen either on Muni uh, buses or in, our, in or around those lines. Anything associated with Muni, our an analyst, uh, uh, identify those incidents on a daily basis. There's an analysis that's done. There is a lieutenant, Lieutenant Joe Engler, who's now assigned to the uh, Muni uh, unit that then analyzes and disseminates that information on a monthly basis to the various district station captains. Those captains, in turn, take that information based upon the type of incidents, the date and time, and obviously they assign their resources accordingly. This next slide, I'm just giving you a, uh, an example of one of the districts. This is Mission District in terms of the data that we're able to compile from the analysis of the daily activities that take place. Um, and clearly, clearly, they speak to uh, trends relative to date and time, um, and that allows us to assign our resources uh, to correspond with those, those levels of activities. 
If you have any questions, please feel free. I'm just going to proceed. Can I just ask a question about um, this, uh, number three here, deployment of district station resources is not funded by SFMTA. Can you just describe what that means? What, uh, what that means is that uh, the, the cadre of officers who work full-time uh, <coughs> on many issues, that is funded by MTA. Uh, the district stations that, you know, every, every district station then utilizes their own personnel to address issues relative to uh, uh, Muni in their districts. And that is not something that's funded by MTA. Right. It's, it's my understanding that officers are supposed to be riding uh, Muni a couple times per shift. Is that correct? That is correct. With, uh, with greatest concentration and uh, specific operations that occur as a result of the analysis of the data. So when we see that in, in the later afternoons at 3 o'clock and on, we have more activities, uh, particularly in this instance, you have Mission Station. Actually, it's not, it's not on the board, but for instance, if you're, we're seeing uh, an increase of activity at 3 p.m. in the Mission District, then obviously the captain is going to, and those, those, uh, the management of that station are going to assign officers to uh, specifically target Muni uh, uh, transit lines at those times. So, but on a daily basis, yes, the district station officers are uh, directed to ride Muni, um, but you know, but directed, you know, uh, you, target specific. And do, do you find that that is happening? Yes, it is okay. happening. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> We're uh, part of the analysis is actually doing mapping of, of, uh, of our robberies with particular uh, interest for uh, our officers assigned to Muni to identify those locations that are, that are uh, uh, most impacting Muni transit lines and so forth. This is just another example of Ingleside District. Uh, as you can see, there, there seems to be a, a clear um, indicator both in the mission and in the uh, Ingleside and particularly throughout the city, you see more increase of activity uh, from about 2, 2 p.m. on. And so accordingly, we're going, we, we assign our officers to, to uh, pay greater attention to many transit lines and, and during those times. Excuse me. Yes. Just going back to <clears throat> officers riding on, on Muni, that's been happening for um, how long now? For many years. It's, for many uh, years. Um, do we have data prior to officers riding on Muni, whether or not there's been any impact? I, I guess it's kind of a I think there, there definitely is an impact. And we look at the, the number of incidents relative to the ridership. Um, it's minimum. It's not, I mean, for instance, throughout 2012, we had, uh, uh, I think, 300, just under 400 uh, cell phone thefts associated with uh, Muni ridership. Uh, and so by comparison to the number of daily riders, I mean, we're, we're looking at about 700,000 riders a day who ride Muni uh, with some 800 rolling stock, uh, that, that total aggregate number uh, is relatively low. I mean, it's, although it's something that we, we continue to pay attention to uh, relative to the total number of ridership and the activity throughout the city, it's a relatively low number. So I think that is influenced by the presence of officers, uh, the, the 
the various operations that not only the district stations, but those officers who are assigned to Muni engaged in on a regular basis and other educational activity, educational efforts, campaign efforts to alert our, alert our public to the, uh, the issues that, are, that, they, that, that occur on those Muni lines. Thank you. Supervisor, I wanted. Yeah, I just wanted to say that given the, the time data on the robberies, it, it seems that it's right after school gets out, and I'm just wondering if there's any age data on the victims. Are they students that are just getting off school, or and also the perpetrators, any age data? I do not have any age data here. Um, our crime analyst unit, I suspect, would be able to draw that data based upon what's entered into our, our, our systems from the incident reports written, uh, the age, the demographics of the victims, as well as the suspects, but it's not something that I, I have prepared for today. Uh, just to kind of give you aggregate numbers, this is the uh, third quarter, I should say the, the uh, second quarter fiscal year uh, covering the months of October, November, December. Uh, this is just a three-month combined summary. These, these numbers are what our uh, crime analysts assigned to the Muni detail uh, gather through actually pulling every single incident report on a daily basis. Anything that's associated with Muni, whether on the, on the line itself or nearby, this, this uh, is, is a result of those, uh, that analysis. So. Uh, you can see the aggregate numbers are relatively low, like I said, based upon the total ridership, the total number of rolling stock uh, throughout our city. So, uh, Commander, so, I mean, so in the, four, in the last quarter, October to December of last year, compared to the uh, same time period in 2011, there was a 70% increase in personal crimes, uh, theft, assault, robbery on, uh, on Muni? Uh, are you talking of the aggravated assaults there from um, 11 to 6 to 18? Yeah, it, well, it, it looks like these part one crimes, aggravated assault, burglary, larceny, theft, robbery, um, went from 163 to 276, so a 70% increase. Sure. I mean, as you look at the, the property crimes, those are the driving uh, issues there. I mean, we look at um, the larceny, you, we went from 88 incidents to 161. And that's basically, you know, perhaps a passenger on the immunity line sitting sit, seated with some item uh, seated next, uh, next to them and that item being stolen. Um, conversely, you have um, an increase of uh, personal other thefts, which oftentimes is the uh, pickpocketing. Um, and that, that went from actually three incidents in a three-month period of time to 13, and that's system-wide. Um, some of the things we're doing to combat things like the thefts and uh, uh, the pickpocketing is that in many instances, we, there, there, uh, there are some professional pickpocketers out there, and we have through um, um, various means been able to identify who those individuals are. We, in fact, share that information with the uh, Muni drivers, uh, our officers in the field, and in, in, in many instances, our Muni drivers are actually playing a, a huge role in preventing uh, some of those thefts by 
the identification of the person as they're getting on the vehicle itself. Uh, we've had drivers actually make an announcement, not identifying the person because, you know, it would be inappropriate, but to remind people to pay attention to their belongings as those individuals are, 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 are getting onto those buses. Um, for instance, during the America's Cup, we, we had great emphasis on individuals we had identified as being uh, uh, very uh, um, uh, repeat offenders in the era of pickpocketing and other thefts. And so I think the, that kind of uh, delivery of information, both to the officers in the field and actually the operators of the muni vehicles, has, uh, is, is helping uh, bring those, uh, those trends down. This is just a technical question, Commander. Sure. Can you just describe the difference between larceny and robbery? What kind of violence is involved in robbery versus larceny? Sure. Um, a larceny is a theft. If you leave your phone on the desktop and I take it without your knowledge, it becomes a theft. Uh, if you uh, have your phone in your possession and a person comes to you with, you know, with some level of force, takes that item from you, or by, by means of, of creating a, a, a sense of fear in you uh, come in possession of that item, then it becomes a robbery. So robbery is the taking of any property by force or the means of fear. Uh, moving forward, as I indicated, uh, total number, we've been tracking uh, cell phone crimes, particularly on Muni. Uh, and as uh, Supervisor Wiener, as you pointed out, the, 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 your typical scenario is the individual who um, is in close proximity to the doors, is not paying attention. Um, the person grabs the phone and immediately runs off, the, off that vehicle once it has come to a stop. Um, and what we're seeing is that a total number last year was um, 399. Um, and I think Director Militello will speak to the educational campaigns that we have in place to really keep people aware of their environment and not uh, lend themselves to uh, having their phones taken. And these aren't actually all robberies. These are thefts in many instances. Uh, Director Militello, would you like to take over from here? Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Lee Militello. I'm the Director of Security Investigations and Enforcement for the SFMTA. Um, if we go back to that slide. Um, in partnership with the Police Department, one of the things that we noticed is an uptick in, in cell phone and electronic device theft. And so what becomes important, um, as all of you have mentioned in your opening remarks, is um, our ability to educate the public in terms of um, being aware of their surroundings. So a few months ago, um, the Director of Transportation, Ed Riskin, and Police Chief Greg Sir uh, held a press conference, and our communications team at the SFMTA developed this campaign, which um, this is, is one, one uh, element of it, and uh, this would be the other one. Basically, we put them in all of our kiosks, on all of our buses, um, our rolling stock and uh, began the process of, of attempting to educate the public. As you know, these campaigns are only as good if um, our passengers uh, look at them and, and are aware. So the other thing that we've, we have initiated is, as you all know, I have a number of fare inspectors uh, that 
uh, enforced uh, fair uh, compliance on our on our transportation vehicles. And one of the things that I've uh, required of my fare inspectors is that when they when they board uh, one of our vehicles, they they should um, you know take a besides checking for proof of payment. I want them to have also a more customer service role, because these crimes that uh, occur on our transit system are really crimes of opportunity. And our, our pub, the public needs to be educated on if you're sitting near a door and you have your iPad and you're holding it out like this, it becomes an even greater opportunity for somebody to take a look at when the doors open, it's a snatch and grab, and, and off we go. Um, we found that that's been really successful over the last month or so, uh, just having this one-on-one -on -one contact with our passengers and making them aware of being aware of their surroundings. Uh, this campaign was, was uh, successful. We're going to be rolling it out again. And additionally, our communications team at the moment is uh, working very hard to develop a more one-on-one um, -on -one interaction with our, with our passengers because they have to look at these to be able to see the campaign. And we want to be able to put it directly into their, into their hands. Director, I just have a quick question. Um, and uh, obviously, the goal is to make sure that, that we prevent anything from happening by, by not making these smartphones or iPads uh, visible. But what, what is supposed to happen if, if, if you do end up you know, being the victim, you're on the bus, uh, what are you supposed to do as a member of the public if that happens? Well, you know, when you lose your smartphone, there goes your ability to, to call 911 directly from a bus, yeah. right? So what we, what we advise our passengers is to notify the operator that this has occurred, and then it goes into our central control system, and the police are dispatched uh, to that location to make a report. We clearly want the public to report all incidents like this so that we are aware of exactly what is happening within our system. Great. Thank you. Director, um... When you, you're talking about face-to-face -face contact and so forth, but um, have you have you thought about, you know, how some of the when it's functioning, the, the munis they make announcements. Uh, so, is it possible to add this particular one-liner in there to say, beware of your your elect, electronic uh, equipment when you're on the bus? Yeah, thank you for that question, uh, Supervisor. When we rolled out this campaign, the, the on-air and the over-the-air bus announcements in, included this in that, and uh, we, we are reinstituting uh, those really kind of as we, as we speak here. The one other point that I, I neglected to mention was um, our MTAP uh, division, which is headed by Sulu Pelega, who does a lot of outreach into our schools, um, has done a similar campaign uh, working with the school district to make kids aware of utilizing the devices and also any, any uh, individual that may be tempted to see a crime of opportunity to really tell them that it's not a good idea. So I'm excited about that, um, that avenue that we're taking as well. Supervisors, I'll uh, follow up here. These are the resources that, that the police department has assigned by way of uh, uh, MOU with the MTA uh, who have direct responsibilities. We have a team of uniformed officers uh, that we call the Muni Response Team. 
Their primary responsibility is um, the muni rail lines. Uh, they do um, uh, um, trespassing uh, um, abatement efforts, particularly uh, in the muni tunnels where we've had tragic incidents of individuals who uh, either uh, traveling through those tunnels or, or uh, residing in some form or fashion. Uh, so they uh, are tasked with abating that problem uh, along with other muni personnel. We have uh, uh, teams of, um, of, of officers with uh, canines. Their primary responsibility is, is the inspection of the muni lines relative to suspicious devices and packages. Uh, secondarily, they assist the uniformed officers uh, as well as the uh, fair uh, inspection personnel from MTA. Uh, lastly, we have a team of uh, plainclothes officers, and uh, you know we try to use them in the most clandestine effort to uh, deal with the issues of uh, individuals engaged in the more violent crimes. Uh, they have been an incredible uh, resource, not only for uh, addressing issues of crime upon many, but crime throughout the city in that they have uh, such a level of engagement with uh, re uh, repeat offenders uh, that we're able, they're often able times to identify uh, suspects based upon uh, uh, video footage and, and other, otherwise uh, very, very quickly. And that is also a team that is funded by uh, FEMA and a TSA grant. In um, going back, the dog units are also funded through TSA as well. Uh, specifically some of the target enforcement operations that we do. Uh, obviously with the issue of robberies, uh, the team uh, of officers assigned to Muni uh, regularly interact with the district station personnel uh, in response to either areas that have been uh, historically plagued by, by robberies or where we see um, uh, changes or increases in, in robberies indicating um, uh, that you may have a series or anything of that nature. Those officers are engaged in that. And one of the things that we really want to do is in, in order to abate uh, the crimes in and around Muni is actually affect the environment. And if we can af affect the environment by making certain that it's clean, it's not, uh, it does not become a haven for criminal activity, then I think we will see uh, significant changes in that. Accordingly, some of the new operations and efforts that we've put in place in the last number of months, uh, we're hoping to see some, uh, some returns on that investment. Uh, one of the operations is, is a sober muni shelter. Uh, that operation is conducted with officers who are experts in the field of drug recognition. Uh, we also run that operation uh, uh, with the support of uh, SF hot teams, uh, essentially individuals who are either under the influence or um, uh, inebriated in or, in or around muni lines or buses, those individuals are, 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 are looked at by way means of getting them into intervention programs and or uh, in, in many instances there's a, a need to deal with the criminal aspect in order to get them into those intervention programs. Uh, Operation Safe Lines is an effort to identify uh, meaning lines where uh, we see uh, uh, um, hot spots, if you will, of individuals who are fugitives from justice, whether they be minor violations or more serious ones. We uh, basically believe that if we 
identify those persons and, and get them off the streets and, and perhaps get them into some level of rehabilitation that they'll be less problematic uh, to many and to our city overall. That is done on a, on a biweekly basis as well as done through a multitude of agencies just as the sober uh, muni shelter is. Uh, more recently, um, I suspect you <coughs> saw the piece that Heather Holmes did relative to our efforts to deal with uh, illegal taxis and limousine service. Uh, there are, uh, you know, aside from the, the efforts of individuals to engage in uh, entrepreneurial activities, there are crimes associated with the unregulated uh, illegal taxis and limousines, and, and those are the issues that we're concerned about. So as a result, we run these operations on a, on a monthly basis with personnel from MTA as well. So this just to provide you a snapshot of some of the things that we're doing to make Muni, to keep Muni safe and to make our city safer. Thank you very much, Commander. Uh, colleagues, if there are no questions, we'll move on to the District Attorney's Office. So thank you. Thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, we're joined by Sharon Wu uh, from the DA's office. Welcome, Ms. Wu. And you can also, you can stand at the lectern if that's more convenient. Thank you very much. Good morning, Supervisors, members of the public. I'm Sharon Wu. I'm the Chief Assistant of Operations at the DA's office. We are sort of an end user of the criminal justice system, and so I'm here to give you just some information about the current state of these cases in the criminal justice system, our numbers, um, but we are doing some proactive work, and I think Supervisor Winner, you <coughs> mentioned that, and I'll describe very briefly what our efforts are. Um, currently in the adult system, in the criminal justice system, we have about 220 open robbery cases, which involve thefts of cell phones. Um, those are a combination of robberies where property is taken and among the property are cell phones and also include um, what we've typically been calling here today the grabbing of the cell phone out of someone's hand while they're either using it text or texting on it. Um, in juvenile, we've seen a marked increase in uh, filings of these type of offenses. We currently have 193 open juvenile robbery cases that involve uh, theft of cell phones. Um, uh, I believe, Supervisor Marr, you had a question earlier about the difference between larceny and robbery. Um, there was a recent case about two years ago that talked about the necessary force uh, to remove an item from a person. Um, and the specific case described as basically a cell phone robbery, someone taking something from somebody's hand. Um, that case indicated that the simple taking of uh, an item from somebody's hand is not more force than is necessary to complete other types of theft from the person. And therefore, this type of snatch-and-grab robbery is considered um, a grand theft from the person, not a robbery. And so we've seen actually a marked increase in grand thefts from the persons that we're char currently charging. Um, the difference, of course, is that a robbery is a serious and violent felony. A grand theft person is um, a 1170H, a, a realignment eligible offense. And so there's a, a marked difference between the punishment that is um, attributable to each one of those offenses. And what we look at when SFPD brings us cases really is the amount of force that's necessary to affect the taking of the property. And we look at that very closely because we want to make sure that we're charging the right offenses. Uh, Ms. Wu, yeah. so in terms of that distinction that you just drew um, between a, a more violent, uh, forceful uh, 
event, which would be a, a robbery, and something where uh, the person is still taking it from one, someone's person, but they're, they're grabbing it uh, from their hand or, or whatever, and that's a, a grand, uh, grand, grand, theft theft, person. grand theft. And you said it's realignment eligible. Um, what, does that person, how likely is that person uh, to spend any time uh, incarcerated for having done that? Uh, there, there's a, a great likelihood they will spend uh, time in custody. Uh, the difference would be whether or not that custody period would be in local okay. jail or in state prison. Not uh, being realignment eligible, they're not eligible to go to state prison any longer, but there is still a three-year top in local custody. And oftentimes they do spend quite a bit of time in local custody and then find themselves on supervision to our local probation department. Right. Thank you. Um, we are doing uh, uh, more proactive things as well, not just reactive in prosecuting these cases. I will say that every case that the SFPD brings to us, we look at very carefully and we charge a huge majority of these cases. Unfortunately, they're very difficult to catch and as uh, the police department has been describing to you the efforts that they are um, exerting to be able to do these operations. We work closely with them to make certain that we are involved and we know when these operations are happening and we know that when, when these cases are going to be coming to our office. Um, but proactively what we are doing is working with both our neighborhood prosecutors and our community um, liaison to reach out to the community because as all the supervisors have noted, the biggest fight and the biggest uh, protection that we have is education. Um, I will tell you that my husband every day tells me, don't talk on the phone as you're walking, stop texting as you're walking, um, because that makes you vulnerable and that makes you a target for an individual, especially in a crime of opportunity, such as these snatch and grabs, which are prevalent across the nation. Um, and so we are involved in uh, public service announcements as well. And, and we are currently working, and I think Supervisor Wiener, you brought this up briefly, we're in the very early stages of talking with the cell phone uh, uh, industry to work to to discuss technology and, and ways that we can make this a much less attractive um, option in terms of theft. Um, we have commitment uh, from AT&T in California specifically, but we are trying to gather uh, the other uh, cell phone operation uh, companies to, uh, to work with us to, to uh, at least make these phones inoperable and therefore not valuable on the street level. Um, I would note that SFPD did a, a very good, excellent operation in terms of a fencing operation. I think Supervisor Campos, you spoke about the 496, the receiving stolen property. Um, they did a, a, a very thorough investigation concerning a large-scale fencing operation where mu uh, much of the property seized was electronics, including cell phones, PDAs, um, and tablets. And so I think that we're working very closely with them to make sure that the people that we catch who are responsible for these crimes um, are, are held accountable and, and take responsibility for it. Thank you, Ms. Wu. Uh, colleagues, are there any Supervisor Mark? Actually, I was just going to ask a similar question about ethnic um, and demographic data on victims and perpetrators that you have. Are there any patterns that you see of age or ethnicity in either perpetrators or victims? I don't see any, uh, we haven't really looked closely at that, Supervisor Mar, but I will. Um, I, w I can tell you um, in speaking with the uh, head of our juvenile division that there is a larger um, percentage of robbery cases, cell phone robbery cases, where some juveniles are perpetrators. And so I don't know if that has to do with a timing issue in terms of um, what Commander Ali was saying, the time that offenses are taking place 
in Muni in and around Muni. I don't know if that's if that's a correlation or not, but we will look into um, the demographics of both the victims and the perpetrators to see if we can come up with any trends at all, um, especially, uh, of course, of the people that we were prosecuting. Um, and let, we'll get back to you on that. Thank you, Ms. Wu. Thank you. Um, so at this point, uh, we're done with our presentations, and um, may we open it up to public comment, Mr. Chairman? Um, I don't have any public comment cards, uh, but if anyone would like to make public comment, they can just uh, approach uh, the lectern. Is there any public comment? Well, seeing none, Mr. Chairman, can we close public comment? Yes. Okay. Public comment is closed. Um, so I, I want to thank uh, the departments uh, for coming out today. I think this was actually very helpful in terms of understanding the statistics and some of the strategies. And I think our, um, you know, the goal, of course, is for the effective law enforcement, but also for the public to understand the scope of the issue and, uh, and how we can all protect ourselves. So um, it's something that I know we'll continue to work on together and to monitor closely. And I just want to thank everyone for participating. Great. Thank you, uh, Supervisor Wiener. And, and I don't know if, uh, if you want to file this. Call the chair. You'll call the chair. Okay. I do think that it's, uh, it's important for us to continue to monitor this, this situation. And uh, I would love the opportunity to come back perhaps uh, in a couple of months or three months to see where things are. And uh, I, I want to thank all of the people who presented, all of our law enforcement partners for the work they're doing. And... Uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, a better educated public uh, around these issues. Uh, so, again, thank you for the presentation. So, colleagues, can we have a motion to continue to the call of the chair? So, motion by uh, Supervisor Mar, if we can take that without objection. Thank you, colleagues. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Clerk, if you can please call item number one. Item number one is a hearing to receive a briefing on San Francisco's public safety conditions from the San Francisco Police Department and or the Mayor's Office of Criminal Justice. Great. Thank you very much. And colleagues, uh, this is an item uh, that uh, is usually introduced by the chair of the, of the uh, Public Safety Committee, uh, and it's an ongoing discussion about uh, crime trends uh, citywide, and so we will make a point of, uh, uh, in, in future meetings, you know, when this issue is discussed, this will be the beginning of the, of the meeting so that we have some context for the things that we're talking about. So again, we want to thank the uh, department, the police department, for being here, Commander. Thank you, Supervisor. If you uh, allow me a few minutes to get the PowerPoint up. Uh, so the crime trends that I have, I'll present you with some statistics uh, citywide, and then broken down by police districts. Uh, some of these I, we've discussed already in the. Uh, um, earlier with robberies, uh, but overall, if you look at the citywide crime statistics for this uh, CompStat extraction period, which runs from December 23rd through January 19th, uh, there is an increase in robberies. Compared uh, the year-to-date statistics from uh, 2013 to 2012, again, there, there is a 10% increase in robberies. And also, uh, if you look down in the property crimes, there are some increases in the property crimes as well. And if you keep in mind that it's, this was the holiday season, and during the holiday season, uh, you, had, you have um, individuals who leave their goods in their vehicles, and you have an increase in these types of property crimes, these people becoming victims of auto uh, burglaries and other types of thefts due to the uh, increase in purchasing of merchandises, et cetera, during this time. 
Moving down to uh, Central Station, the overall profile, you could see that um, there was no uh, change in homicides. There was uh, an increase, a uh, 100% increase, although it's just a, it's one crime, but the, one crime is one too many, but there was an increase in, in rapes. Robberies in the Central were down. Commander, but, before you continue, do you have uh, copies of the, of, of the presentation? Of the yeah, I believe I do. Hold on a second. And, and I would also uh, ask uh, going forward, I think it probably would be helpful for us to get, uh, if there is data or this kind of, uh, of information, to maybe get it a couple of days before so that we have an opportunity to review it, you know, and, 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 and ask questions. But thank you. Very Please well. Proceed. And just uh, on a side note, this, this data is uh, publicly available. It's on the, the department's webpage under the CompStat data information, so they can review this, uh, the members of the community can review this data as well. So again, in the central, you could see that there was an increase in property crime for uh, year-to-date 2013 versus 2012. Uh, Southern Station, the homicides, the, the, the violent crimes, the homicides, the rapes are down, and so are the aggravated assaults. There was an increase in robberies in, in the Southern District as well, as well as some of the uh, other property crimes, burglary, auto theft, uh, et cetera. Uh, Bayview Station, there was an increase in, uh, no increase in homicides from this year, same time last year. Um, again, you could see the percentage increase from rapes, uh, robberies, aggravated assaults. Mission, year to date, uh, there were uh, two this year compared to two uh, rapes this year compared to none last year. There was no homicides in the mission uh, year to date. Again, robberies in the mission dropped and so did aggravated assaults. Northern Station, there was one homicide. Um, this oh. A homicide uh, earlier this year. Um, we did make an arrest in that case, so that case uh, the investigation continues, but the person responsible for that has been apprehended. Robberies in the northern dropped 14% for this uh, time frame compared to last year. Park Station, they had a downward trend in all of the violent crime. Rapes are down 100%. The robberies are down 67%. The aggravated assaults are down 67%. Richmond Station, uh, they They've only uh, logged a 60% uh, increase in robberies. Uh, that's eight compared to five from last year. Ingleside Station, again, uh, this is a trend that we talked about uh, earlier. Robberies are in the increase. They have a 16% increase, uh, excuse me, a 6% increase, uh, 19 this year compared to the same time frame, uh, 18 last year. And Terraville Station experienced a 14% increase in robberies during the same time as compared to last year. And lastly, Tenderloin, they've experienced an increase in robberies as well as aggravated assaults. Uh, in summary, 
The homicide citywide, uh, there's no change. Rapes are down 36%. Robberies are up 10% from uh, the year-to-date data as compared to last year for a total of 17. Uh, aggravated assaults are down 9% and property crimes are up 17%. A lot of the uh, crime-fighting strategies I discussed earlier, If uh, I don't know if the uh, committee would like me to cover these again or if you're satisfied with the responses from earlier. I think, we're, I think we're fine for now, and okay. uh, colleagues can ask questions. Any questions? No. no. Okay. That concludes my presentation. Great. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Commander. Uh, colleagues? Any, any questions? Uh, I guess I, I would just sort of ask a, a general question. Uh, in terms of uh, the citywide, uh, uh, I mean, where do you see things in terms of public safety right now? Are there specific trends? You know, we talked earlier about the, the increased uh, uh, number of robberies in some parts of the city. Do you see anything else happening that, that, that we should be aware of? Uh, no, you know, I'm sure as uh, many of the members of the, bo uh, the committee are aware, as well as the community, we did have a, a uh, slight increase in gang shootings last uh, summer, which we addressed in, um, in August. That trend, uh, I'm happy to report that we didn't record any homicide in the month of August due to a lot of the strategies we discussed earlier, but uh, lately it seems like the robberies have been an issue and we have strategies in place to address those, ro those robberies. Okay. Great. Thank you very much, Commander. Sure. Uh, unless there are any questions, why don't we open it up to public comment. Is there any member of the public who would like to speak on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, and so this will be an ongoing item, so should I Continue it to the call of the chair. So if we have a motion by Supervisor Marr uh, to continue to the call of the chair. Seconded by Supervisor uh, Yee without objection. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, if you can please call item number three. Yes, Mr. Chair. Item number three is a hearing to consider the transfer of a Type 21 off-sale general license from 345 Eddy Street to 135 Powell Street to Daniel Kramer um, for Walgreens. Great. Uh, is anyone here on this item? If you could please come forward. Morning, Supervisors, community. My name is uh, Inspector Rich Van Kohl, representing the San Francisco Police Department. Um, it was under, uh, I believe we're continuing this, but the SFPD is ready to, to proceed if that's necessary. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Katie Kincaid. I'm with uh, Barbary Coast Consulting here on behalf of Walgreens. We would like to request that this item be continued until uh, the next hearing on the 21st because we found about the, out about this item being calendared um, this week. Unfortunately, that did not give time for some of our Walgreens representatives who would really like to be here to attend this meeting. Um, this is in regards to their flagship store. It's the third such store in the country, um, and they'd really like to be here to tell you more about it. Okay. Uh, I, I know that uh, 
Supervisor Kim, the district supervisor, has uh, she and her office have made efforts to reach out to the applicant, and uh, you know, unfortunately, it seems that there hasn't been the 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 desired response. So hopefully, between now and the time that this comes back, if we decide to continue it, that you know that there would be outreach to the supervisor's office. Um, if I may, we have met with Supervisor Kim's office, but we will certainly be in touch to make sure that any other questions or concerns she may okay. have are addressed. Okay. All right. One, before we take any action, why don't we move up to uh, public comment. Is there any member of the public who would like to speak on item number three? Please come forward. First, uh, my name is uh, John Nolte, and I'm a long-term, uh, I'm a native San Franciscan, and uh, Walgreens has, has a monopoly on um, pharmacies in San Francisco and have killed the mom-and-pop pharmacies in San Francisco. Um, I am concerned about this continuance. Uh, this does not help the community or, or, or any organizations that are opposed to this or for it if they continue. They, they've known about this application. Uh, and you look at your board packet, uh, they, this has been um, ongoing. Uh, the dates in which the, um, they've had this in front of your committee, it's gone all, almost uh, uh, eight months. So therefore, it's continuing it. I don't think it's wise. It should be heard here, like the, the um, officer said, he's ready to proceed. I don't think anything will change in their presentation because uh, it's all hype. Now, getting to um, some pictures of Walgreens. Can I have the overhead, please? This is uh, Walgreens. Um, in this uh, item right here, we have uh, a uh, person uh, panhandling in front of it. And we see their garbage cans taking up space in front of their uh, location. Uh, uh, the above lorries, this is open space. We just lost open space. Now, I don't know I understand about open space, but we're never going to get that back. And those are umbrellas. That was the way that restaurant above them was functioning with open space. And our, our neighborhood does not have as limited on open space. Then here is another picture of Walgreens. This shows them congregating, loitering in front of their property. Uh, it shows, again, another panhandling going on. Then this picture shows their truck unloading, taking over half of the sidewalk for pedestrians. So this is a major corridor. This is Powell Street. This is, you know, this is the tourist in, in part of the city. And you, you're taking up all this space. Then here is another picture of Walgreens. We have graffiti, graffiti on their property, right here, graffiti. And then you have another panhandler. And then you have all this mess right here, again, on the sidewalk. Uh, so I'm concerned about how they are not even taking care of their property that they've had there for over 20 years. and. Um, and how it's affecting our neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. They're both working? 
Okay. Um, my name is uh, Michael Nolte. I'm the Executive Director of Alliance for a Better District 6. It's a district-wide improvement uh, organization that addresses land use and um, public safety concerns. Um, currently, there are over um, – can I have the overhead? Currently, there are over um, – overhead, please, somewhere. <laughs> Currently, there are over 800 uh, off-sell liquor licenses in San Francisco. Um, I consider that an over-concentration. It doesn't uh, – and, you know, adding and, – and, and if you see all these dots, this is downtown where they're going to have their store. Um, uh, recently, our membership uh, – we, we, I surveyed our membership, and uh, public safety was our top priority. And uh, there are many reasons why the community feels that the license uh, will not serve the convenience of the uh, uh, community, uh, and the list is 22 reasons that have been given to you. Um, just just a, a brief uh, list. And uh, the community is saying enough is enough. Uh, you know, when ABC when, – uh, when Wal – again, can I have the over uh, – when uh, Walgreens posted back in March of uh, 2012, uh, they notified the community that they were going to have an officer liquor license at 135 PAL. Well, the reality is not one, just 135 PAL, but also 149 PAL because they're taking over lorries. So they pr didn't properly notice the neighborhood. They didn't – the neighbors didn't know that it was going to be a superstore at the time of posting. Um, so we also questioned the, prop, the, pr the proper posting of the notice. Um, Walgreens says in the packet that you've gotten from them that uh, they're only going to be um, getting 3 percent of their sales will be c coming from alcohol. Well, um, do they really need 3 percent extra income from alcohol? Um, so uh, there's just many concerns. They were not addressed in the community outreach meetings that took place long after the uh, post – this posting took place. Uh, uh, at uh, – on Walkreen's window. So the community didn't know at the time, at the time of posting, what was really going to happen at, at the site. So it's time for the citizens of St. Francis to be heard in these chambers. And, uh, you know, enough is enough as far as alcohol licenses. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Is there any member of the public who would like to speak? Uh, Seeing none, public comment is closed. And let me uh, just go back to a comment that I made earlier. I just realized that uh, the item that we're talking about is a District 3 item. So my reference was to, item, uh, to an item involving District 6. So I apologize to, to the applicant uh, for any uh, negative inference uh, uh, in, in my comments. Uh, uh, my understanding is that uh, a, 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 there's a request of a, for a continuance. I haven't heard any. Anything from the district supervisor in terms of, you know, being uh, against the request, uh, I, un I understand from public comment that there is, you know, there are some very legitimate concerns here. Uh, so, uh, uh, colleagues, I don't know if, uh, if there's any motion or... Actually, I just had a question, and, and I appreciate the, the letter from the Alliance for a Better District 6 and Mr. Nolte, um, both Nolte's, their comments, and I share some concerns about 
the overabundance of um, liquor licenses in that area of, um, of the city, especially around the Tenderloin. And I, I see that in the ABC record that there's four or there's a number of other letters of protest. And I'm just wondering if we could have a little bit of a summary of are they smaller businesses or what do we have some sense of the letters of protest? I think there were 14 letters of support and, and a handful of letters of protest, but do you have it, the gist of what those protests were? Um, and I, I, I'm just wondering if, um, is it uh, can I, can Officer I them in? Van, Van Cor? Okay. Okay. But I'm just wondering if, if our, um, if the police department has a response to the letters of protest. As you correctly stated, uh, Supervisor, there are recorded 14 letters of support through ABC and four uh, recorded letters of opposition through the ABC. I don't have those letters in front of me, uh, but they all seem to have the same theme as you brought up as the oversaturation as well as a high crime plot area. And I do see the conditions recommended by, the, um, by you and the department that limit the hours, um, require cleanup and um, minimizing nuisance, and um, and I see those as well. So, and and your recommendation is to approve. Um, so this is very helpful. Is there a way for us to access those letters of protest before these hearings happen? Um, like, if they could be placed in the packet, or a way for us to easily uh, scan them before these meetings? Yes, I'll uh, have those for you. On the next meeting. Okay. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, colleagues, any any comments or any other questions? Uh, I, I know that uh, there has been a request uh, by the applicant to uh, to continue, and uh, uh, my understanding is that the district supervisor doesn't have an issue with that, and. Uh, uh, in light of that, I think that probably makes sense. I have to say, though, that the comments and concerns from the public are, you know, very, uh, you know, legitimate concerns, and and I certainly look forward to uh, to a resolution of those of those concerns. So, colleagues, if we can have a motion to continue to the call of the chair, motion by Supervisor Marr, um, we could do that without objection. Thank you. If you can please call item number four. Item number four is a hearing to consider the issuance of a Type 42 on-sale beer and wine public premises license to Jordan Lewis and Case Lewis for Folsom Street Foundry, located at 1425 Folsom Street. Great, thank you. We can now hear from the applicants. Uh, good morning, supervisors, members of the public. Um, my name is Case Lewis. I'm here with my brother Jordan Lewis, and we're available to answer any questions you may have. Good morning, uh, Board of Supervisors. My name is Jordan Lewis, one of the owners. Um, a brief overview of what the uh, uh, place is going to be. We believe we have a, uh, a novel idea for an art gallery in the Soma area. Uh, 
uh, the type of art we're going to be showcasing is concept artwork. It is uh, an underserved uh, style of artwork that is primarily used for the creation of video games, movies, fashion, industry. Uh, it's drawn on uh, computers, Photoshop, uh, Corel Painter, and thus there's not a hard uh, copy of it. What we have done is uh, uh, put uh, arrays of monitors that can uh, slideshow and show this artwork, which is very eye-catching, and um, I think it speaks to uh, a lot of people in the San Francisco area that are involved in uh, the you know, creation of these, uh, these video games, uh, movies, uh, high tech, and we're hoping to serve that, that market by having a, uh, an interesting area where creative professionals can come, enjoy this artwork, uh, relax with a uh, glass of wine or a, a cold beer or a cup of coffee, and um, that's just a basic uh, overview of uh, our venue, and uh, we are getting a good response from the neighborhood and we uh, they're looking forward to us opening from everyone we've heard and we uh, we just hope to move forward a quick question have you uh, reached out to the district supervisor we have not spoken with her uh, directly except for uh, the letters we sent if you can speak into the mic oh, please. Sorry. Um, no we have not uh, spoken with our supervisor directly um, simply uh, the clerk and uh, the letters we sent uh, explaining um, our operation. Well, I, I, I'll be honest with you I, that the fact that, and this goes back to my prior point uh, when I spoke about the wrong item, but the point is that uh, it, it is always a concern for me when someone comes with this kind of a request and they haven't actually done the outreach to the district supervisor. Uh, that, that is uh, not a good way of approaching these kinds of matters, and it certainly uh, doesn't leave uh, us as members of this body, but I would imagine members of the community with a great degree of uh, confidence when the elected representative uh, for a particular part of the city has not, you know, received the kind of outreach that normally you would expect. Um, we apologize that we hadn't uh, spoken with her. Um, most of our outreach has been to the local community immediately surrounding us. We've been developing relationships with our neighbors um, all around. Uh, everyone we've spoken with, um, from the local business owners nearby to people who live in nearby apartments and condominiums, has they've, been, they've given us support. Um, they're uh, enthused about it. They like the idea. So, um, Supervisor uh, Yee. Uh, Chair Campos, um, I concur with your uh, previous statement. I just wanted to uh, reinforce this, that I would like to see uh, you reach out to your, your representative in the district. Uh, we will absolutely do that. Great. Uh, do we have any comments from the police department? Good morning, uh, Supervisors. Uh, Christina West, on behalf of Lewis Case, Annis Lee has filed an application with the California Department of Alcohol Beverage Control seeking a Type 42, which is an on-sale beer and wine bar licensed for 1425 Folsom Street. For the purposes of this hearing, the California Department of Alcohol Beverage Control, ABC, seeks a determination from the Board of Supervisors as to the approval or denial of this license. 
police calls for service from March 2011 to March uh, for the entire year was one call, as well as there was no records of any police reports. This particular premise is located in plot 242. The applicant premise is located in a high crime area. The premise is located in census tract 178. Applicant premise is located in an undue concentration area. There were no letters of protest, nor were there any letters of support. The department recommendation is uh, based on uh, there is no opposition from Southern Station. The alcohol licensing unit of the San Francisco Police Department re recommends approval. The following conditions have been recommended to the California Department of, of Alcohol Beverage Control. Number one, sales, service, and consumption of alcoholic beverages shall be permitted between the hours of 4 p.m. and 12 a.m. midnight each day of the week. Number two, the sale of alcoholic beverages for off-sale consumption is strictly prohibited. Number three, loitering. Loitering is defined as to stand idly about, linger aimlessly without lawful business, is prohibited on any sidewalks or property adjacent to the licensed premises under the control of the licensee as depicted on the ABC 257 form. Number four, no noise shall be audible beyond the area under the control of the licensee as defined on the ABC form 8257. And finally, Number five, the interior lighting maintained therein shall be sufficiently, sufficient to make easily discernible the appearance and conduct of all persons and patrons in that portion of the premises where alcoholic beverages are sold, served, delivered, or consumed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Colleagues, any questions uh, for any of the presenters? Why don't we open it up to public comment? Any member of the public who would like to speak, please come forward. You each have three minutes. Hi, uh, Michael Nolte, uh, the Executive Director of Alliance for a Better District 6. It should be a warning flag when you receive a packet from um, ALU uh, that says uh, no uh, letters of support and no uh, letters of protest. That would mean that the applicant didn't do any uh, real um, community outreach. I mean, right there, it would make it clear. I mean, if he, if he really did some community outreach, then there would be at least some letters of support. Uh, and if, uh, you know, uh, if people were made more aware of his establishment, maybe they'd be also possibly protesting it. Uh, normally, um, um, how the alliance would handle this, uh, we would request that, uh, 50 per that a percentage of their food sale, that all their food sales would have, they would have to purchase food before, Purchasing drink, they'd have, if they were going to have alcohol, they had to purchase food, not just go in there and get um, alcohol. So that would be our concern. Um, and uh, I think uh, the other conditions that the uh, police have put on it are acceptable uh, because uh, that's normally some of the things we normally ask. Uh, as a community organization. Uh, it's just a shame that I have to come down every time there's a liquor license, uh, multiple times, obviously, uh, because uh, they don't reach out to the community. Uh, and uh, this is on, I, I'm a volunteer, so. Uh, um, but uh, I appreciate a new business coming in. Uh, it, we do need new businesses. Uh, and hopefully uh, this one will thrive in, in District 6. And uh, we welcome to the community. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Nolte. Any other speaker? Seeing none, 
Public comment is closed. Uh, colleagues? So I'll move this uh, item to be continued. So we have a motion to continue to the call of the chair. Uh, so I would encourage the uh, applicant to please reach out to the district supervisor. I know that uh, they want to have an opportunity to talk to you. And I would also encourage you to reach out to the rest of the community. Uh, I think it's, it's only that can only help, that can only help you, something that can only help you. Uh, so without objection, uh, thank you. If you can please call item number five. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Item number five is a hearing to consider the issuance of a Type 42 on-sale beer and wine license to Angel Davis and Ingele for the Fig and Thistle, located at 313 Ivy Street. Great. We can hear from the applicants. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, my name is Nui Lei, and I'm in front of you today to ask permission to open a beer and wine bar at 313 Ivy, which is in Hayes Valley. Um, I have been uh, managing the building for the last 10 years. Um, my best friend and business partner, Angel Davis, and I would like to open a wine bar there. Um, I was born and raised in San Francisco. Um, I went to Frank McCoplin Grade School, Roosevelt Middle School, and Washington High School, all in the Richmond. Yeah, Richmond District. Yeah, Richmond great. District. Um, same as my father, uh, Quincy Lay. He went to all three schools. Um, my father operated and ran a deli a couple blocks away from here on Market and Polk for 40 years. Um, he's now working with my grandmother up on Market and Church. Uh, she also has a deli up there. She's 85. She's uh, still up there going strong. Um, as a uh, native San Franciscan, I've seen the city change a lot in the last 30 years, especially Hayes Valley. Um, I have chosen Hayes Valley to want to continue um, my family's tradition of opening a small business, helping the neighborhood continue to grow. Um, hopefully people can come and have a glass of wine and a beer for uh, many years to come. Um, for the past couple of months, we have been doing a ton of outreach, uh, including talking to our um, supervisor. I'm going to let Angel come up and explain a little bit more about what we've done. Great. Thank you. Good morning, supervisors. Uh, my name is Angel Davis, and I'm one of the owners of Fig and Thistle. Um, I'm a third generation San Franciscan, and we've all lived in District 7 for the entire time since, since 1954. Um, and I guess about our space, um, we're a very small wine and beer bar. We're going to be focusing on regional wines and beers, as well as cheese and meats. So we want to source all of our products from um, Bay Area vendors and help out the economy in that way by getting our cheese and meats directly from the farmers across the bay. We want to be able to know everybody that's brewing our beer and making our wine so we have a direct connection with the community and be able to share that connection with our um, patrons. And um, I'm not sure what it shows in your packet. I brought in letters of support because I think in our original packet from the police it said we have one letter of support. So I brought in a packet to the clerk last week, and it shows uh, over 20 <laughs> letters of support and a petition we went around in the neighborhood talking to different people and asking them if they would like to see a type of space of, like ours in their neighborhood. So we have over 100 signatures there. And I, I brought that with me just in case you didn't have that. But I didn't make actually, enough copies. Actually, Mr. Chair, I, I do find all the strong letters of support from the Merchants Association, okay. the Neighborhood Association, and even your 
emails where you adjust the hours based yeah, on their did, recommendations. Yeah. But congratulations on really working with the, the neighbors and the merchants as well. That aspect is always really important to me. The reason why I like doing this type of work, I've been doing it for over a decade, is because it's very communal and it's a very, um, you can just reach out to people and, a lot, and I like that type of environment. So I want to create that with my space. Um, and we joined the Neighborhood Association and the Merchants Association. We've been going, excuse me, to all the meetings and like hearing different things what the neighbors want. They want like more non-alcoholic drinks. So we're coming up with different ideas and seeing what people like. So everybody can come in and have a good time. And uh, yeah, we just want to be here for a very long time and be able to support the community and the city that we live in. Great. Thank you very much. We can now hear from the police department. Rich Van Cole, representing San Francisco Police. Nui Lei has filed an application with the California Department of Alcohol and Beverage Control seeking a Type 42, which is an on-sale beer and wine license for 313 Ivy Street. For the purpose of this hearing, the California Department of Alcohol and Beverage Control <coughs> seeks a determination from the Board of Supervisors as to the approval or denial of this license. From the time period July 2011 through July 2012, there were no calls for service at this location or police reports. This premise is located in plot 558. Applicant premises is not located in the high crime area. The premise is located in the census track 162.00. Applicant premise is currently located in undue concentration area. There is no record of any letters of protest with the California Department of Alcohol Beverage Control. There's no record of any letters of support with the California Department of Alcohol Beverage Control. There is one letter of support that was uh, registered with the Northern Police Station. No opposition from Northern Station as long as they agree to the recommended conditions. ALU recommends the following conditions. Number one, sale, service, and consumption of alcoholic beverages shall be permitted only between the hours of 11 a.m and 11 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 a.m. to 12 a.m. midnight on Fridays and Saturday evenings. Number two, the sale of alcoholic beverages for off-sale is strictly prohibited. And number three, no noise shall be audible beyond the area of the control of the, of the licensee as depicted on ABC Form 257. Angel Davis, one of the officers uh, we just, who just spoke, was contacted and agreed with the above conditions. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Unless we have any questions or comments, why don't we open it up to public comment. Any member of the public who would like to speak on this item, please come forward. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, again, we want to thank the applicant. And, uh, in, uh, you know, from my perspective, you can see the contrast between an applicant who has done the kind of outreach you want to see and someone who hasn't. So uh, the outreach is greatly appreciated. Supervisor Mark. Yeah, I just wanted to say that this is probably a model effort to engage the neighborhood and even the petition to the Hayes Valley Farm and the merchants and the neighbors. But just props to um, Mr. Lay and Ms. Davis for the great work on this. It seems that the community really wants this. And of yeah. course, Supervisor Yee is probably thinking, you know, it had to be District uh, 7 residents who do it this way, right? Who do it right. Very happy. <laughs> and so I, I, I would say I'm would make the same comments that um, I'd like to commend the uh, applicants for their outreach effort. I mean, this is a stark contrast compared to other applicants that we've seen today. Great. So if we can have a motion to move this item forward with a recommendation, motion by Supervisor Yee, if we can take that without objection. Without objection. Thank you.
Mr. Clerk, if you can please call item number six. Item number six is a hearing to consider the issuance of a type 42 on sale beer and wine public premises license to Lynn Carmichael for Eno St. Francis located at 310 Geary Street. Great. Thank you. If we can now hear from the applicant. Hello, my name is Lynn Carmichael. I'm uh, with the law firm of Hinman and Carmichael and we have been working with Eno St. Francis to get a type 42 license of, of wine and beer, although it's mostly wine, on the south side of Geary in the, in the building that houses the St. Francis Hotel. Um, there is one other uh, Eno wine bar and two other Eno wine bars in California. One of them is uh, in Half Moon Bay the other down in San Diego. They're a kind of a nationwide uh, effort to have a quiet place to have a glass of wine either before your dinner or after your evening's activities. We will not be open late. We are right there near the theaters and near Union Square where there are a lot of um, tourists and a lot of people from the region as opposed to the neighborhood. So we, we intend to serve that that group of people um, with our very quiet, very nice, very uh, upscale wine bar. It will have wines from all over the world, snacks, but not meals, and chocolates. Um, the mix of, of alcoholic beverages to food items is, is about 70-30, which is, which is pretty good for a wine bar. Um, we received no opposition. Uh, we haven't spoken to the supervisor for quite some time, but at the time they indicated that it was not an issue. So I'm mostly here to answer any questions you might have uh, about operations. Thank you very much. I don't know if I don't see any questions. We can hear from the police department. Thank you. Thank you very much for the presentation. Inspector Rich Van Cole, representing San Francisco Police Department. Eno St. Francis LLC has filed an application with the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control seeking a Type 42, which is an on-sale beer and wine public premises license for 310 to 320 Geary Street, San Francisco. For the purposes of this hearing, the California Department of Alcohol Beverage Control seeks a determination from the Board of Supervisors as to the approval or denial of this license. From the time frame July 2011 through July 2012, there was 10 police calls for service, no police reports. This premise is located in plot 166. This plot had 372 police incidents recorded for 2011. Premise is located in the census tract 123.02. Happen premise is currently located in an undue concentration area. There was no recorded letters of protest with the California Department of Alcohol and Beverage Control. There was one recorded letter of support with the California Department of Al Alcoholic Beverage Control. There's no opposition from Central Police Station as long as they agree with the recommended conditions. The Alcohol Licensing Unit portion of San Francisco Police Department recommends approval. The following conditions have been recommended to the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control. Number one. Sales, service, and consumption of alcoholic beverages shall be permitted only between the hours of 10 a.m. and 12 a.m. midnight daily. Number two, no, no noise shall be audible beyond the area under control of the licensee as defined on ABC Form 257. 
Filing number three, the, petition, the petitioner shall utilize electronic surveillance and recording equipment that is able to view the outside of the premises, including all entrances and exits, and that is actively monitored and recorded. This electronic surveillance shall be utilized during operating hours. Said electronic recording shall be kept as at least 30 days and shall be made available to the department and police department upon demand. On 1-17-2013, Karen Botschbaugh was contacted on behalf of the applicant who agrees with the recommended conditions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Inspector. Uh, seeing no more comments or questions, why don't we open it up to public comment. Any member of the public who would like to speak on this item, please come forward. Uh, yes, uh, Michael Nolte, uh, Executive Director of Alliance for Better District 6. I want to point out that uh, both Walgreens and this uh, establishment was in District 6. Uh, during the redistricting process, they swiped us away. So, uh, uh, so anyway, I want to uh, point out that uh, we did write a letter of support, but I also want to point out they did no outreach. So uh, if, you're, if you're shaming everybody for not doing outreach, it starts here too. Um, uh, they, uh, we, when they posted, it wasn't clear if it was St. Francis Hotel was doing, because of the name, if it was St. Francis Ho Hotel that was actually asking for a liquor license, or it was a different entity. And obviously, uh, it wasn't until we get the packet through the, uh, uh, for this meeting that we realized that it's actually an entity that has, because they didn't do any outreach to the community. So we thought it was the hotel um, opening up a bar uh, under its name. Uh, and in reality, it's a chain of bars that are opening up, and they just went open up at this location. Um, uh, we do agree with the uh, uh, conditions that are set out by the police department. But again, the issue of outreach, uh, I think that uh, it should be pointed out that uh, you know these applicants need to do the community outreach so that uh, everybody, and just to assume that there is no organizations or no residents and all that, well, that's hucky puck. Um, they have to work with everybody, not just the merchants. Uh, and uh, so um, um, anyway, I'll say the same thing. Welcome to the community. Hopefully, if you get it today, uh, congratulations. But uh, shame on you for not doing outreach to the whole community. Thank you. Is there any other speaker on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, and and I, I uh, thank everyone for their presentation. And I think that uh, hopefully if there's one thing that's clear uh, following this meeting is that every member of this committee is interested in making sure that when you're applying for these kinds of uh, licenses that you are uh, doing outreach to the community as much as possible. So hopefully the message uh, uh, has gotten across. Uh, colleagues, uh, we have a recommendation from the police department. Uh, do we have a motion? So I'll move to accept the recommendation by the police department. So we have a motion, and we can take that without objection. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Clerk, is there any other business before the committee? That concludes today's business. Thank you very much for your time. Meeting adjourned.